Mike Fitterling says, adventure is what happens between your ears. I really like that. Mike builds his adventures around places he hasn't been, meeting and making new friends, and doing the whole thing on an extremely tight budget. And most importantly, for Mike, it's a way to center himself and renew his outlook on the world. And on today's episode, we've got some ideas maybe for your next adventure, as well as some tips on traveling on a budget and using forum for accommodations, not only to save you money, but to add to your experience and your adventure. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as the MCM top pick in their recent compressor comparison. www.cyclepump.com I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rock. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Witt. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. I think most of us can attest to the rejuvenating qualities of riding our motorcycles. You know, the feeling you get when you head off on an adventure on your motorcycle, or maybe even just your commute to work and back and, and back and forth. It's, you get off the bike, you feel happy, energized, satisfied. It's so much more than transportation. Mike Fitterling is a writer, author, editor, and he's also the owner of a publishing company called Road Dog Publications, which specializes in motorcycle books. Being self-employed and the father of two, Mike knows all the strains of life, like we all do. I mean, just living, making money, paying bills, taking care of your family, and in Mike's case, dealing with the ups and downs of having your own company. Mike also deals with depression. And because he doesn't have, can't afford, a healthcare plan to address his depression medically, he's found a way to deal with it by combining his love of motorcycles and travel. My name's Michael Fitterling. Everybody calls me Mike. I'm from Lake Wales, Florida, 
center of the state and I publish adventure travel and motorcycling books among other things. I'm also a editor of Vintage Japanese Motorcycle Magazine. Mike, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. So you, what you're describing right there to me sounds like the perfect life. And I think to a lot of people, because a lot of people listen to this show, for instance, and they do something else for a living. And I think we all sort of dream about making our living from, from what we love. And that's sort of what you've got. Yeah, I've I, got to keep that in mind that I'm lucky that I'm able to do what I want to do. And I have the time to travel and part of my job with the magazine is traveling and all. But then it has its downsides, too. Um, you know, it's uh, up and down income. Uh, drives me crazy from time to time. So, uh, you know, that's that's a bit of a stress. Yeah, the nature of being self-employed. I mean, anyone who has their own business will totally relate to that immediately <laughs> as soon as you say it. But, you know, it's funny because you can you can sort of focus on things, can't you? You can focus on, you know, you can have this this wonderful life, which I think most of us probably have, but you can focus on the things that aren't perfect or aren't great. Right. It's easy, especially, you know, I'm working by myself out of my home. And so I'm here all day long and just got my own thoughts to, to keep me busy. And uh, you can uh, get too involved with yourself, I think. Yeah, not not have enough distractions, and it's kind of funny because what we'll end up talking about, I'm sure, in in, in this coming conversation is going to be dealing with our thoughts with motorcycling. But for for some reason, when you ride your motorcycle, it's not the same as sitting at home. You know, like because just what you're talking about there, I know that feeling. You, you're at home and you're sort of isolated and you're dealing with your own thoughts. But when you get on the bike, it's it's like a different feeling. But before we get into that, I, I'm sort of curious, what is adventure to you? What, how do you picture? How would you define adventure when it comes to motorcycle? To me, I think it's uh, pushing yourself beyond your comfort levels as far as uh, seeing new places and trying new things um, and uh, looking for something that you haven't experienced before. Um, Not so much. uh, It doesn't have to be around the world, uh, but as long as it's a new experience, um, that's the adventure to me. You said not so much about being around the world. Does it have to be a trip where you go to see different cultures or, or, you know, when you say like pushing yourself or stretching yourself, what what does that mean to you? Well, when I travel, um, I try to uh, tackle gravel roads. It's a a challenge for me. I don't get a lot of time down here. We have uh, sugar sand roads, so I don't get off road much here. So when I'm out, I try to, to expand my riding by riding gravel roads. Um, I did that out West. Um, and, uh, just being on the road by myself and being self-sufficient and, uh, seeing, uh, how cheaply I can travel. Um, that kind of thing is a challenge for me and also seeing where I can get in the little bit of time I do have to get out and ride. You mean, right? Yeah. I've got, uh, Every time I put an issue together of the magazine, I have a window of about uh, two to four weeks, depending, um, that I don't have to concentrate on that. So, But then I do have the business stuff to worry about. So, you know, I, I might have two or three weeks a year that I can really fit in a long trip. And uh, it's just a challenge to find that time. And so... Uh, it's an adventure because it just doesn't happen very often for me. Yeah, I like the way you say that about as, as far as challenging goes. Because I think a lot of times when people think of adventure motorcycling, it's certainly portrayed in um, that it's this conquering thing that we do, that we get on our bikes and we go and we, we conquer this country and we conquer this road. But, but it always strikes me that the roads that we're on, these places that we're riding in these other countries or wherever it is, are places where roads have been built because people live there and they travel them every day. So it's, it's really strange at the, at the very least to say, you look at this, this person riding this road like it's a, a heroic endeavor 
And yet there's a whole bunch of other people riding along that do it every day that are sort of looking at them going, what are they doing? Why are they taking their, their photograph in that particular manner? I mean, <laughs> you just sort of see what I'm saying, right? So, I mean, right. and I think that's what people get confused with as far as they think that's what adventure is. It's it's the, you, to have an adventure on a motorcycle that you're going to have to get on your bike. You're going to have to go to India. But if you live in India, you're going to have to get on your motorcycle and you're going to have to go to North America. <laughs> you know, it's like we're, we're swapping and going to each other's backyards. But it, but it's not really about that. Yeah, our adventure is our adventure is somebody else's commute. You know, so um, I mean, you know, you can be in the jungles of Thailand riding somewhere, and somebody scoots by you on a Honda Cub going to work. I mean, it's but it's it's the thing that it's different for us. You know, that we're doing something different you know, that I think makes it an adventure and it could be anywhere. You know, I haven't left North America on my adventures, but, you know, to me, I, North America is such a a massive, diverse place that you could spend a lifetime just riding here. And uh, I don't think there's a, a challenge it couldn't that I couldn't find in North America. I mean, I, I have nothing against going around the world and um, there are places I'd like to see, but uh adventures uh right here at home because it's uh, anything that's new to me is the adventure yeah i mean there's no, certainly nothing wrong with with going around the world or going to a, a different spot in the world in fact there's there's so many things that are great about that um but but that's not really like sort of when you peel back then so when you look at that and you figure you're riding in the same places like, as you mentioned somebody riding a honda cub really when you peel back that that adventure layer and really look at what's underneath it's it's what you described to begin with it's that it's that pushing yourself but not in an epic necessarily way that you can put rock music to and and have a, a drone flying around you but in an internal way right i always say uh, adventure is what happens between the ears so it's it's not the external thing it's how it's how the riding changes you and is that with people? Is it, is it um, like when you think of that, is it meeting people on the route? Like, I mean, is that what makes the trip for you? Uh, that's part of it. I, I really enjoy, I use the uh, ADV rider um, tent space list a lot and, and stay with other ADV rider inmates. And um, that's always been a pleasure. I always met very generous, truly kind people. And that's kind of what helped me reset myself on these la- these journeys in this in the northeast north by northwest book, um, so that that is a large part of it, I, and it's just seeing new things and and developing a big better appreciation for the the natural world. I really like being in kind of isolated areas, um, riding by myself, and just taking in uh, the beauty of the of the countryside. It's funny that you you mentioned that, and I want to talk more about that that thread on ADV Rider, the tenth thread. Um, but it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because we all do different things for a living. We have different lives and everything. The only common thread there is the motorcycle. So you go and you stay at these people's homes and just because of that one single common thread, I mean, it could be anything. It could be an an Austin Mini and you could be driving an Austin Mini or it could be, you know, you're into skiing. And it's funny how if you find just that one common thread and you you connect with people so well, but it shows that we're we're sort of not that different. You know what I mean? I, I think what I'm trying to say is that we think that that's what connects us, that common thread, but really the fact is that's just an icebreaker. Right. That's just our introduction. You know, I, and I, I kind of have always been an adventurer and I used to sail my small sailboat solo a lot. And it, the same thing happened in the sailing world, you know, is you your sailboat is your introduction to all these other sailors. But uh, the people are the same, you know, and uh, by and by and far, the world's full of good, generous people that, that want to help and, and want to be your friend. And that's that's been my experience almost uh, without an exception. Although you and, can, uh, at times you can doubt that. Sure, I mean, sure. <laughs> I, I doubt it when I come back across the U.S. Customs uh, uh, <laughs> station. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, generally I know ninety-eight percent of the time uh, they're good people. You know. Um, uh, I don't want to jinx myself, but you know, I always just hang my helmet on my handlebars, put my gloves in it, and walk into a store. I've never had anybody nick anything out of maybe 175,000 miles of riding. You know, it's uh, you know, most people are not crooks. Most people 
are are kind and 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 thoughtful of other people. So um, it's rare that they're not. You mentioned the tenth thread. I said I want to go back to that because I think that's a really valuable resource. Can you give a better breakdown on what that is? Sure. Um, well, you know the uh, website ADV Rider is a, a forum, a series of sub forums for people who do adventure riding. You know, uh, either locally or around the world or whatever. Um, and uh, there's a trip planning sub forum, and within that is a thread uh, tent space sign up sheet. And uh, on that thread, you can offer your backyard to any other adventure travelers, and uh, you can post, uh, you know, what you can offer if you're able to help them if they have a mechanical emergency, if you have a backyard or whatever. Um, then somebody, I don't know who's behind all that, but somebody puts this all on a Google map. And each offer is a, is a little pinhead on a map of the world. And uh, there have been so many people who have done this that you actually had to zoom in very close in a lot of areas to actually see the individual pins. Then if you click on the pins, it'll bring up that person's offer. And, uh, you know, I, I offer my backyard, you know, mine says, you know, I've got a fenced backyard with, you know, uh, three-quarter acres, plenty of room for tents. Now I have an RV to offer. I have a trailer. If you're broken down within 100 miles, I'll come get you. Um, and so when you click the little pin on the map, that person's offer comes up. And so when I'm thinking about doing a long trip, I'll click on little pins along the way and see uh, who's who's close to my route. And uh, it gives me a chance to meet other people and uh, I'm kind of shy normally, but that kind of forces me out of my shell, which is part of the adventure for me too. That's different for me. That's a challenge. So, um, and I've done that in uh, Northwest Georgia. I've done it in Montana. I've done it in Jackson, Wyoming. I've done it in Vermont. Uh, I've done it in New York. Uh, it's a fantastic resource. Um, and, uh, you know, usually it's just uh, people offering it out of the goodness of their hearts. Uh, they don't want anything back except for a good story on the road. And it helps uh, us who want to travel do it uh, more cheaply. So you're not paying for it. <laughs> you know, I usually try to offer something or buy them dinner or, or whatever. But so far, nobody has ever let me spend a cent, you know, even if I've inconvenienced, you by, inconvenienced them by uh, – showing up at uh, midnight because I made a wrong turn somewhere, uh, never been turned away, always been welcomed in. I've even been welcomed in by friends of the people on the map. Um, fella in Vermont I stayed with when I came back from Quebec, I was coming through Maine and stopped at his, in his old neighborhood and to talk to his neighbor and uh, the boys he grew up with. And before I could get off my bike, she had invited me in and had said she had a place for me to stay and dinner was on the stove and come in and uh, you're going to stay here tonight. Uh, she didn't know me from Adam, just uh, had heard that I was coming that way. Uh, so uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities. They heard it on ADV Rider. Uh, I think the fellow I stayed with in Vermont called them because they had a family cabin just oh, up the road. Right. And I was going to use that for the night. And, uh, but he said, stop and see Sally and the boys. Uh, you know, I grew up with the boys and, uh, and so that's what I did. And, uh, I never got to the cabin. <laughs> when you're setting off on one of your trips, what, what's your theme? What are you going for? Well, I, I like to go somewhere that obviously I haven't been before myself. Um, and I like to go places that I haven't read a lot about, um, uh, especially if I'm thinking I might want to write something about this, maybe not a whole book, but, you know, maybe do an entry on the blog or something. Um, I had, uh, these two trips, uh, in the book, I, I had never been Northeast of Gettysburg. So I wanted to see new England, um, never been in Quebec. Uh, so that's partly what drew me there. And then, um, the other Northwest, uh, I'd never been beyond, uh, Colorado Springs or so. Uh, so that's, I headed, headed out, uh, North from there and towards, uh, British Columbia. Um, I, I always have in my mind that I might want to write a little bit about it. And, um, there are places I haven't seen like, uh, 
south, southern Utah, and but the southwest, so many people write about that I kind of leaving that for later when I'm not going to be writing, and I would like to see it. But uh, um, for instance, I think the next thing I'd like to do is um, probably Labrador Highway before it's completely paved and come back through uh, to Finland and, and Nova Scotia. Um, uh, there's, you know, I know people do that, but there's not, uh, not a lot of people writing about that experience. So, uh, um, you want to go ride the Labrador road while it's still rough. Yeah. Sorry. Even though you was going to say, you're not really an off-road rider, are you? Not that much. Um, uh, but you know, a graded road with gravel, I'm not afraid of. I have a, I ride a Bonneville, uh, so far, I mean, among my other bikes, but for these long distance rides, it's Bonneville, but it's been scramblerized. So I do have dual sport tires on it, uh, Shinko 804 and 805s. And, uh, so it's, it's pretty agile off road. Um, but I just like places that a lot of people don't go. I, and I've always been intrigued by Hudson Bay. I thought someday I'd like to ride some of the, the um, private gravel roads up to, and see if I can make it up to actually the shore of Hudson Bay. Um, and then there's one place I'd like to go still, and that's uh, Mexico, because I was there back in the uh, 70s, not by motorcycle. And I'd like to see that just to see how it's changed and, uh, see what's different now. So, uh, I was thinking of the, the gravel road that you're talking about heading up on the, the Labrador road and thinking about, you mentioned about where you live in Florida, you've got a lot of sand. Well, it's kind of flat in Florida, isn't it? Pretty flat. There's a couple little pockets of hills. It's a little hilly around here. Um, there's a place North of Tampa, this little hilly. It's not uh, like the sugarcane fields down near Miami, but, uh, yeah, generally it's flat. But it, it, there is no rock. So, um, you know, if I want to practice off-road riding here, it's um, down between rows of orange trees in the groves. And it's, it's sugar sand. I mean, it's sink up to your axle kind of riding. I have one friend that uh, sells LED lights actually on ADV. Um, and uh, he lives down a dirt road way back at the end and it is it's horrible i went back there a couple years ago with a friend who grew up riding dirt bikes i mean he was a montessa dealer back in the 70s he'd ridden all over baja he was riding um uh, an, an old airhead uh, gs bmw he dropped his bike twice getting in there oh, wow. you know, over <laughs> the two mile ride in you know so Sand is what everybody tries to avoid here. I mean, like from you know the, the rest of North America, everybody gets all freaked out about sand. Yeah, it's it's got to be the toughest stuff to ride in. So I figure I'm you know if I can ride it here, uh, the gravel stuff you know is is fairly easy. And I I did ride up above uh, Lake Champlain, and it's so different because it's packed in in you know small rocks and and hard ground. Uh, so much easier to ride. Um, did some riding out in Montana, uh, kind of near Kalispell, southwest of Kalispell on gravel. And uh, the road wasn't a problem. Um, I was lost. That was a problem. But <laughs> the road wasn't a problem. <laughs> lost isn't so bad. It's really, when it comes to getting lost, at least I find, anyway, it's fuel. A lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always carry extra fuel. Um I've been known to to push it a little far once I was coming back across the Canadian prairies and ran out of fuel three times in one day once. So, wow. but I always, I have two one liter MSRs and, and a one gallon roto packs with me. So I was able to keep going every time. Oh, but, well, that's uh, not so bad. So that, that's why you're pushing it that far. Cause it's going to say you run out of gas three times in a day. You, there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. I knew, clearly, I knew I had resources. <laughs> you're pushing your limits too far. <laughs> yeah. You, the Bonnie doesn't have that big of a range, you know, it's not an adventure bike, but, uh, so even in Florida and some of the places here, you can go a long ways between gas stations. So sometimes you need to fill up before that reserve light comes on, you know, unless you're carrying stuff like I do. You seem like quite a planner for your trips. You know, we talked about your this trip that you've, that you've done for a book. Um, you uh, you sort of plan out almost every night, don't you? 
Well, yeah, I, I, I kind of have to do that because uh, of the time constraints. Actually, I'd prefer not to do that um, if I had a little more latitude. Of course, I, I like meeting the fellow ADV riders, so I want to plan that ahead. I don't want to just show up at their doorstep. So, um, you know, once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll combine that with seeing friends, uh, staying at an ADV rider's house, and then I'll throw in a few uh, nights that I'll just uh, wing it, you know, and, and try to find a place. Um, but generally, you know, not, yeah, probably eight out of ten nights is planned. When you say find a place, are you talking about uh, wild camping or, or just to find a campground? Whichever comes up. You know, yeah. I was out in uh, northwestern Colorado and uh, was starting to look for a wild camping place. Um, but I just happened to find a little campground beside uh, a, a little uh, reservoir in Rangeley and stayed there. But, uh, yeah, I'm prepared to do wild camping if I need to. So uh, it starts getting dark and I say, well, the first campground I come to or I'll just find a place that I can pull over before it gets too late. I do try to avoid getting out at night, especially areas where there are a lot of deer. We have a, tons of deer in Georgia, not so much in Florida, but as soon as I get to Georgia, I'm, uh, I, I don't like to be up there in the, in the dark. Night riding just about anywhere is, I think we all, you know, realize that that's a, that's a serious risk. Sometimes you can't avoid it. I mean, you get this time of year in North America, uh, especially as you get into the Northern latitudes, there's not a lot of daylight. So if you still, if you're on the coast and you're riding, you end up having to ride some at night and yeah, that's a huge hazard, which is uh, another reason for running with off-road lights. I, hi- I highly recommend off-road lights. Uh, the f- friend I was telling you about uh, has ADV Monster and, I've got a pair of LEDs from him that are 1,200 lumens each, and I ride with them all the time. Helps during the day. People always see me. Yeah. Um, they're in a triangle with my headlight, and at night they're specifically for when I get stuck on the roads up in Georgia and I haven't found a place that I've got, you know, I can see much further ahead. I'm even thinking about adding a, even a more powerful one that I use only when I need it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an important kit. Um it's worth the money to have on your bike. You don't find that running with them on in the daytime that you're you're getting drivers getting aggravated with you. No, I've I rarely have anybody flash me, but I do aim them. I aim the one on the left to like the white line on the edge of the road, and the one on the right, kind of the same thing. So they're not really aiming into the other lane, right. and it's the side of the road generally that you're, you're looking for the danger. So, um, it's worked for me and, um, you know, I I love LEDs. I've had that pair on ever since I bought them four years ago and they never go off, you know, and they, they're just still, still going, still watertight. I have a a couple on there that are, they're extremely bright. What I do is even in the daytime, I'll turn them on and especially with windy roads. And, um, then when somebody comes the other way, leave them on just for a second so that they get it. And then I'll turn them off. And I, and I find that you can tell actually physically with the vehicle, vehicles tend to move over slightly away from you as soon as they spot those lights There's something, you know, resting about them. Obviously they're bright. Um, but it's a good way to get somebody's attention because a lot of times I find nowadays, I don't know what it's like in Florida, but certainly the areas I ride in, people are crossing the center line more and more all the time, especially like on corners. Uh, uh, drivers are terrible here. They, you know, we have so many people come from other parts of the country and they all have their different driving styles, but they all get mixed up here. So virtually nobody uses turn signals here. Um, I think what probably helps you when you turn your light off, it's that change. Yeah, it you know, It's almost like an oscillation. Um so, uh, yeah, it, it to be seen. And I think having it in a triangle around your headlight, that helps with their depth perception of seeing how far you are. They can e- easier judge how close the bike is to them. We're going to take a one minute break to thank a sponsor that's helped made this episode possible for you today. Stick around. A lot more coming up. The other day, a picture popped up in my Facebook feed, some sort of uh, pit scene from an off-road race. I think it was the Dakar. Anyway, off to the side in this photograph, there's a whole bunch of fuel containers stood up there, and they're all sporting these massive 
IMS logos. And the more you look around, the more you see IMS. And I got to thinking about how IMS has developed this huge following for their products. I mean, they've been doing race stuff, off-road race stuff for 40 years plus. And now they're doing that for adventure motorcycling by making a full line of foot pegs, which a set I have on my bike right now. They have over 40 years of racing pedigree and they put that into all their products and their foot pegs are cast certified 17-4 stainless steel. They're heat treated. But aside from being incredibly tough, they're designed for adventure bikes. So they started from scratch and designed them for us adventure riders. In fact, they were riding these larger bikes that'll, uh, these pegs will give us a larger platform to stand on, better traction between your foot and your peg, which is hugely important, and, and more leverage and control of your motorcycle. I really think you owe it to yourself to give them a try. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com, www.imsproducts.com. Talk to them about your needs. Send them an email, phone them up, uh, whatever you need to do to get a hold of them. But when you do, make sure you mention ARR. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio so that they know that it's working for them. That's www.imsproducts.com. You also use your, your trips, your motorcycle trips, or at least in some cases, as sort of a release for you, don't you? Yeah, um, I really try to get it. I call them my mental health trips, and uh, I try to get them in. I try to get a good one in every year. Um, usually years, all I can take that, you know, the stress is building up. Um, uh, and getting on the bike helps me kind of immerse myself in something else. I think that's the thing about riding. It's immersive. It makes you be involved with so many other things that it doesn't allow thoughts of home and issues and things get in your mind because you're, you're looking for cars, you're looking for wildlife, you're, you're listening for sounds on the bike to make sure nothing's wrong. You're making sure your luggage is staying secure. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's the type of activity you have to stay focused only on it. And I think, I think that's what helps get away from the depression is doing that long enough that that stuff fades away. Um, and it wouldn't have to be riding a bike. I think it could be any kind of, uh, any kind of activity though, that's immersive like that. But, uh, a motorcycle certainly does it for me. Um, I always feel better on a bike. Uh, doesn't matter if I'm just on a short ride or a long ride. I always feel better when I'm riding. Yeah, I, I find that too. I mean, I can go out for 15 minutes and, and I come back feeling great. It's amazing the difference. But I think all of us being, most of us being riders will probably relate to that. But I was going to say, also when it comes to, to doing a trip on a motorcycle, it sort of reminds me a lot of, of just camping in general, like because I, I have a, a deep um, history with, with camping in the outdoors and, and with guiding trips. And the one thing that I, that I seem to get from this, and, and it relates to motorcycling as well, is that it's the simplicity of it. When you get on a bike and you're going on a trip, your life becomes about getting up and eating something and riding and going back to bed. It's like, it sort of simplifies it. And I know there's a lot to motorcycling that keeps us busy. Obviously, you're, you're more attentive on a motorcycle than you are at a car. But there's something also simple about your purpose every day. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's pared down to the essentials, life. You know, you, 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 by necessity, can't bring everything with you. You can't bring um, a bunch of stuff to distract you. You get out in nature, at least, you know, that's what I like to do. I like the camping aspect. And you, you go to sleep when it gets dark. You're not, you're not up watching TV or the news or, you know, and you get up when the sun wakes you up. Um it's just the essentials of life. So you don't have all this spurious, superficial stuff floating around you. You said you call them mental health trips, but then you also mentioned depression. Is it something like, is it a pretty deep thing that you're dealing with there? Yes. Yeah, so before I mentioned in the book, you know, the, before I went on that first trip, I was in a really bad shape. I mean, I wouldn't say I was suicidal. You know, but little thoughts would flip through my head. But I was, I just couldn't see anything good that was happening. And uh, I had just lost all perspective. And uh, I had to do little tricks on myself to, to get things done, you know. And um, you know, I would set aside small tasks that are part of bigger tasks so I know I could accomplish things and do one after another so I could just concentrate on one thing. 
and just little things to get through my day. But, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't have health insurance, still haven't conquered that here um, in the States. That's always a problem. And I, so I couldn't get medical help. So I, you know, I, I turned to writing as, as a way just to get me away. Um, but, uh, you know, depression is something I think it, it's, it's just not cured by writing. It's not something that you're just going to conquer and you're done and it's gone. It's something, you know, I still struggle with it. You know, I, I, I finally did, I was able to, you know, go to a doctor and I did get it, some antidepressants and, um, would I take those every day and, you know, they don't solve, they don't change my outlook, but they keep the depression from getting too low. It kind of raises the floor um, on your depression. So so when things seem bad, they're never as bad as they would have otherwise seemed. Um, so that helps. Um, but it's something you have to kind of live with and you got to, you got to remind yourself, you know, I remind myself of the trip and, and what I learned on it, you know, and, and try to keep that. Uh, I know that things can be good because on the trip they've been good. And so it, it it's up and down, but uh, it, it's still a bit of a struggle for me. Um, it's been especially bad financially for us. Um, my wife had been out of work for a year and uh, our income had dropped to, uh, well, really bad levels. Um and, you know, every bit of the money I was making with the magazine and the, the publishing company, every cent had to be used to survive. And it should have been used to build businesses up. And so um, but things have improved lately. Uh, she's back working on a full time job now and um, sales have gone up, too, at the same time. So um, things are looking up. Um I just I just need a ride once in a while to kind of get that perspective back. I think um, I'm hoping to do something this spring. Um, of course, it, it depends on the business and, and how it does. So uh, we'll see. Is depression something you've always dealt with, or is it is it powered by finances? It's I don't think I've always had to deal with it. You know, when I was a teenager. Um, I think it's the stress. I feel really responsibility just for me, it, it, it just weighs me down. Um, you know, we have two children and they have some challenges themselves. Um, my boy has got Asperger's and that presents some issues and doctor's appointments for them. Luckily they have health insurance so they can get uh, the help they need and, um, uh, my daughter has some anxiety issues and things like that. So uh, I don't know if it's genetic or what, if I've passed that on to them. What, but, but that stress, you know, I, I want to do right by them. But uh, I also can't ignore my own needs too. So, uh, yeah, to that, you know, and of course financially when you have children, and so it's a whole different story because if it was me by myself, yeah, if I don't have much money, I, I really don't care. I don't live for money, but but it's expensive to raise children, and uh, there are always demands, and, and there are always bills. Um, so, uh, you know, together, family responsibilities and, and the ups and downs financially, um, and just the stress of, uh, you know, the magazines can be pretty stressful, too. You know, there's deadlines, and if you don't get things done on time, then the magazine ships late. So, uh, uh, and sometimes that conflicts with personal or other business things. So, um, all those things kind of combine to, to, um, stress me out. And, um, it, it has health ramifications too. I mean, I, I, I actually have developed high blood pressure. Um, I discovered that. And when I discovered it, it, it was, I went to a clinic and, they were ready to send me to the hospital right then. I said, look, I don't have, you know, insurance, you know, let's try to deal with this. And, and I'm, I'm not a, uh, a heavy person and I'm fairly active and I eat fairly healthily. Um, so, it, you know, I know that the trigger was stress. So, um, you know, uh, this, and this, the stress and depression kind of go hand in hand, I think, for me. 
if I think if I was a little bit out of the stress zone that I'm in, the depression wouldn't be the handful it is. So when you're using a, a bike trip to deal with depression to to try and uh, at least as, as some sort of treatment, what does it do for you? I mean, how does it make you feel better? Is it just simply the ride? It's it's that focused attention. It diverts my attention from my problems or my perceived problems. It diverts all that energy to riding the bike and you know planning my next day and setting up camp. All those things, like I said earlier, the immersive experience of it, it just doesn't allow those things to to come in. And after a few days of that, the, the, the more days you have immersed in something that doesn't let other things in, like the depression back in, um, the more days you go like that, the easier it is to to put those behind you. And at the same time, you're having good experiences instead of bad experiences you're 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 meeting people who are good to you and you, you know, are friendly on the road and you know you every, every gas stop somebody asks oh, you know about my triumph and oh I used to have a triumph back in the day you know all those experiences are good experiences so not only are you forcing the old out you're bringing in new positive things is, is it sort of restoring faith in, in people as well? I mean, that is when you're feeling down, you sort of feel like the world's against you and the world's such a horrible place by going out and making connections. Like like you mentioned this book, for instance, you've made a couple of references to the book, and the book is Northeast by Northwest, Two Restorative Journeys um, by you, Michael Fitterling. And um, that that's a that's a recent book, that's your most recent book that you have out. And even in that book, um, one of the, I think to me, what what I saw with it was uh, one of the, the eye-openers for you was when you, you lost your sleeping bag. Right. <laughs> I was at that, uh, we had talked about my friend in Vermont, and uh, well, I had lost my sleeping bag on a on a frost heaved road. Um, I actually pitched my tent for the night. It was going to be in the 40s. I pitched my tent, not even thinking about it, and reached back for my sleeping bag, and that and the sleeping pad was gone. Strap still tight, and uh, so um, I that night, the people uh, at the camp. Uh, Gave me a cabin for the same price as the camping price because they knew it was going to be cold. Brought me blankets. But then in Vermont, um, an ADV rider um, offered me a zero-degree sleeping bag and said, just keep the bag. Um, I still use that bag. Um, so, you know, out of the goodness of his heart, I didn't ask him. I, you know, I asked him, you know, where I might be able to buy one locally while I'm there. And he just pulled that out and said, here, take this. You know, uh, just uh, just good people. You know, it's so easy to see people as bad and evil or greedy, um, especially watching the the news, mm. which I think is you know beyond the headlines. People should avoid that. Yeah. Um, and social media, um, so many people will spew hatred that. Um, you can start thinking that everybody's like that. There's something about the anonymity of being, you know, separated like through the TV or on social media that you're not face to face that allows people to just vent uh, anger and hatred and face to face people don't act that way. Um, yeah, it's the very same people. Same as same as car drivers, isn't it? I mean, people drive like mad fiends. They get out of the vehicle and they're they're meek, mild mannered people, very polite. Yes, yeah, so, you know, I, I I have a friend who um, is very different politically than me. Let's just say that, and they're very vocal about it on Facebook. Um, and we don't get into arguments per se, but you know, when I'm together with them doing something and I'm at a bike show or something like that. Uh, the nicest people do you, that you could be around, you know, there's none of that. Uh, it's, it's the face to face part that, that, uh, it makes us human again. I mean, kind of the social media, it, it dehumanizes us. It takes away, you know, we all have our pseudonyms that we're posting on and, you know, we don't really have to 
be responsible for what we say or worry about how we hurt somebody or affect other people by what we say. When you're face-to-face with somebody, those things are important. And um, and so I, I would say to everybody to, you know, that uh, meet people face-to-face. Go out and meet the world, you know. And I know a lot of people that have been on your show found that around the world, you know. Um, Governments do bad things. People say a bad thing on the news. Bad bad things happen on the news. But uh, if you go to some countries, and as Americans, a lot of it, a lot of countries are painted as horrible places on the news towards us, you know. And uh, but if you go to those places and meet the people, it's a completely different story. This book that we just mentioned, Northeast by Northwest. When you set out for this, were you setting out to write? Like when you you mentioned, sometimes when you go out on trips, you actually think about writing. Did you set out to write this book, and and what was the point of it? No, I just uh, you know I do, I do a blog on the website, and so I, I plan to write about the the journey. You know, when I went to Quebec, and I did on my blog, but I didn't I didn't plan on doing a book. Um, but I had the, you know, I kind of had the outline from blogging about the two trips. And then I realized what tied it together is why I was doing it. Um, you know, one was to get, to get away from that depression and to kind of heal myself. And the second was a realization that I shouldn't let it get that bad again. And so there was something that tied it all together that had I hopefully it has higher meaning than just the, the journeys themselves. Uh, so, you know, I do, when I travel, I, I'm, I'm going to make notes, um, but it, it th- that doesn't mean it will be a book, but, you know, maybe a blog entry or um, it, it could be anything like that. Um, I don't generally write those kinds of things in, um, like the magazine is, as the editor, I just do a, from the editor little section that's not about my travels and it's only about vintage Japanese bikes. So, um, I don't cover that on that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, now that I've written a couple books, it's usually at the back of my mind. Well, um, you know, how could I describe this better? You know, and when I take notes, I take, I take more thorough notes now. And in fact, I think in this book, you can tell that the writing improves on the Northwest trip than it did on the Northeast because subsequently I was realizing the importance of those notes and took a lot, lot more notes on the uh, Northwestern trip. What would you expect or what do you hope that the reader gets from reading the book? I hope that, uh, people, uh, realize, you know, that, uh, that people the world are over, um, are the same as us and, uh, that, uh, they don't have to be afraid of everybody. Um, that there are people out there waiting to be your friend. And, uh, so I hope, I hope that's something, um, that it does. And I hope that some people dealing with some of the things I've had to do with the stress and the depression, uh, realize that there are ways to deal with it, um, that are constructive and, and, the building blocks. It's not if it's not riding motorcycles. At least it is. Uh, the building blocks of it are are in there. You know, it's uh, getting away, immersing yourself in something else for a, a extended amount of time, and and changing your perspective and and meeting people is part of that. Um, so I, I guess I guess those two things is uh, I'd like people to meet face to face and, and get to know each other and, and trust each other again. And, um, and people have some tool or direction to help them with their depression. I got to say, it's pretty refreshing to read something where someone is so transparent about their feelings. Cause I mean, you know, it's got, you may not see it. I don't know if you do, but it takes a lot, I think, for most people to open up and say, you know, this is my feelings right now. I mean, I'm feeling depressed and this is why I'm, I'm taking this trip. It would be, I mean, you could have wrote that book and left that out completely and, and just wrote it about an adventure, but it's, it's refreshing. And, and it's really, um, I think it's, it, it allows the reader to be sort of, uh, reflect upon themselves as well when they read through what you're dealing with and why you went on the trip. 
Yeah, well, thanks. Um, yeah, you know, what? obviously, uh, owning Road Dog Publications, I'm always looking for manuscripts. And uh, what I say um, to people is, you know, write about how the trip, how motorcycling or, or however you're traveling, how ha- that has changed you. That should be the subject of the book. I mean, we all take, you know, a motorcycle trip's a motorcycle trip, but it's how that changes the rider that becomes a story um, that should be the story. I think otherwise it's just a travel log. It's just a, you know, turn left here, turn right here, and you can, you know, see this site. Um, and, you know, I've talked to people on ADV Rider. That, you know, it's a pretty good place. People have ride reports. You can tell who are good riders. And I've talked to a few of them about the possibility of doing books. And one in particular, he, he said, well, don't you think what I say, you know, is – is too personal. Um, he is talking about his relationship with his brothers. One of the stories was riding with his brothers who had different issues with, and even between him and his wife. And, you know, I said, no, you know, personal is what you want to aim for. That's why people respond to it. Otherwise, it's just, I got on my motorcycle and I turned left here and I went to Escalante and, you know, you can put some pictures and that's it. But it becomes something more than just a motorcycle travel book when, you know, you make it personal. And I, I, that's the kind of thing I'm looking to publish. And that's what I hope to do in, in the stuff I write, too. Um, hopefully I'll improve with that. It's transparency, isn't it? I mean, there's something about being transparent that is, um, well, it's attractive to people. People want to, they want to know. And, and it probably is because a lot of us will look at that and sort of reflect on things that happen in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, if, if adventure's behind, between the ears, then you have to tell people what's between your ears. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's the way, that's the story. The bike is is the vehicle. You could be a, Appalachian trail hiker, you could be a solo sailor, but the adventure is what happens to you. And, and that's what I try to get out. I think that is so spot on. And, and I think when we understand this, it takes away the need to have a specific bike or specific gear or to go to a specific place because it is all in our head. All these places we go to, other people live there already. So once you get past that, you realize it's about adventure. It's about your personal experience. So it doesn't have to be something you document for to, to put on Facebook. It's about you, isn't it? It's about what's inside our own head. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's, it, it's how is that experience different for you, the writer? I mean, that's what makes it interesting to a reader is, and it may be different than the reader would respond to the same situation, but, you know, that's what makes it personal and interesting. You've got a lot of technical, uh, not technical, but a lot of details in the book as well. I mean, you, you even, I mean, somebody could follow your route with this. Yeah, and I think maybe I put a little too many turns in there. I did put at the back in an appendix, the turn-by-turn route, so you could actually follow it. You know, one thing my proofreader said on my first book, though, in, in the ride section is that she said, I could see this kind of getting a cult following where people would want to ride the route you wrote on that story. Yeah. So I wanted people to be able to to follow kind of the roads. Uh, but I think the appendix would have been enough. But uh, – it is what it is. <laughs> well, one of the other things I liked about it was that you you made budget, and obviously out of necessity, but you made budget part of the experience. Like part of your thing was to see how far I know you had a certain amount of money in your pocket that you didn't want to touch and you're using your debit card a little bit. And, and you're very conscious of what you're putting out for your meals. That's part of your adventure. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, it, and it's part of what makes it possible for me. You know, I know... Even if I left when I had a good month, I know that there are going to be bad months. So um, I make it kind of a game almost. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should challenge Graham here for the cost per mile. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I did those trips pretty cheaply, you know. And, uh, you know, you don't need – Americans are used to these big platefuls. You don't need that much food to survive. You know, a handful of peanuts at lunch and a, a cup of coffee once in a while and um, – 
inexpensive places to stay. And you can still, you know, I stayed in a hotel. And both those trips, I stayed in a hotel one night each. Um, you know, and I still did it cheaply. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of a game to me in a way. But I also know that that's part of the stress relief is I know when I get back, I'm not going to have this huge financial stress because I spent all this money on the trip. I mean, I don't. I feel like uh, I haven't jeopardized the family financial situation by doing this. You also sort of um, almost beat yourself up for it when you spend like uh, I think at one point you spent seventeen dollars. I think that was your one of your first meals. You spent seventeen dollars <laughs> yeah. a meal, and that really affected you. And I, like I know this feeling because I, I do the same thing or a very similar thing, and it really affects you. Think, oh man, I wasted that money. And you said, you know, you'd be more diligent after that. Yeah, especially beginning of a trip like that. I think that was the night I lost my tent, and yeah. that was kind of a pity party for myself. But yeah, and and I'm partly I'm just cheap. Yeah, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> uh, I'm not a high roller at all, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I I I want to make sure the trip isn't a burden to the rest of the family, and so you know, I set some parameters for myself, and I stick to them pretty much. So, Mike, always great to talk. Thanks very much for coming on. Well, thank you. Well, Mike also told me that he's donating 10% of the net proceeds of this book, Northeast by Northwest, to the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, um, which he said wasn't available for him or he couldn't find it uh, before dealing with his own problems. And now he wants to give something back to them. The book is called Northeast by Northwest that he's just done, Two Restorative Journeys. It's available at any good bookstore. It's also available in Kindle and Nook format. And Mike also reminded me that the Kindle um, has an option for text-to-speech and his books are enabled for that. Text-to-speech is a function of Kindle that um, gives you the option if the book is programmed this way or, or formatted this way to let the application, the app in the, in the um, reader, read the book to you. So you hear it in a sort of a computer voice. It's not the author's voice, but um, it's an option there. If you want to listen rather than read, it might be a good option. And you can find out more about Road Dog Publications and the other motorcycle books they do by visiting their website, www.roaddogpub.com. And of course, as always, that link will be in our show notes. I just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. Now, you can always drop by our website and look at all of our episodes, www.adventureriderradio.com. I encourage you to do that. Go by, and we often post things in the show notes that you maybe uh, had no idea were there, like photographs or maybe charts or things like that. Um, And we also have a a Facebook page, which I'm, I'm probably, you know, I think you would know that by now. Facebook, everybody being on Facebook. If you haven't come by our Facebook page, drop by. We post things every now and then on the Facebook page. Go figure, that's what it's for. Anyway, I think I'm babbling here, so I'm just going to cut it off at this. Thanks very much. And and, hey, if you like what we're doing and you want to help the show out, uh, you know, I often say this, and and I really think it's important. Think of those little things you do in life, like grabbing a cup of coffee or um, picking up a donut or maybe a sandwich or something like that. Think of the, the enjoyment, the pleasure, the value you get from that. And then think about our show, Adventure Rider Radio. And if you think you're getting value from this and you'd like to give something 
something back. You're not required, not like buying a muffin or anything. You're not required, but drop by the website, click on the support button and anything $10 or more will get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more will get you a mention on the show. Um, so drop by and check it out. And we really appreciate it. And, and we really need it because the show is built on a, a model of advertising and uh, support from listeners just like you. Hey, and, and now while I'm thinking of this stuff, don't forget, we have another show called ARR Raw. It's once a month. It's roundtable discussions about motorcycle travel. It's a lot of fun. It's a group of people, a little silly sometimes, but uh, drop by the website and click on the Raw link. It'll take you to that separate show. You need to subscribe separately. Anyway, that's it. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks very much. See you next week. This is Tim Burke, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 